This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And what we've been doing since we haven't had baseball, and we're still doing A's Cast Live, is we're going to preview every single division. We did the NL West, and now we've done the NL Central. Tom Brenneman from the Cincinnati Reds, Mike Shannon from the St. Louis Cardinals, Pat Hughes, Bay Area guy and San Jose State graduate uh, from the Chicago Cubs, Greg Brown from the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Jeff Levering from the Milwaukee Brewers, and of course, grew up in Sacramento. So we're going to preview every team in the Central, and we're going to start with our old friend, Tom Brenneman from the Cincinnati Reds. Tom, it's great to have you on the program once again. Uh, how's life treating you there in Ohio? Well, everything's great. You know, obviously, uh, it's, a, it's a trying time in this country. And, uh, you know, um, our governor back here, Mike DeWine, was one of the, you know, the early leaders who set some stuff down and, and uh, he's done a great job back here. And so, uh, so far, so good. And obviously, there's a lot of sadness and tragedy everywhere from coast to coast and all over the world. So just hoping and praying uh, for everybody out there. You know, this upcoming season for the Cincinnati Reds is going to be so different because your father's not going to be on the air. And, of course, he got honored yeah. everywhere. We honored him here in Oakland last year as he's truly one of the great yeah. voices of the game. So it's just – obviously, retirement's going to be great for him. He had a blessed career, and the two of you got to work together. But it'll just be a little odd not having your dad around. It really will. Uh, I think it will be on multiple levels. Uh, obviously, for the people that have listened to him for 47 years uh, – so than the players, because as you know, they come and go, uh, much like you had out there for for years and years. A, a guy like Bill King, and it's uh, and then it'll be different just for us who, who had a chance to be around him every day. I, I think that the highlight of the day for most of us when we went to work uh, was having dinner with him because he's just so much fun to be around. He's a funny guy. He loves giving people the business and uh, and loves taking it back. And uh, we're we're really gonna miss him uh, a lot. There's no doubt about it. You know, Bob Nightingale, a friend of this program, we just had Bob on two days ago, uh, has now put out on USA Today about how this potentially could get going once again where the teams in Florida would play each other. You know Arizona real well from your time with the Diamondbacks, and all the teams in Arizona would start to play, and whoever's the best team out of Arizona plays the best team out of Florida. I don't know if this can happen. I just know what it would mean. I think everybody, just to see some live yep. entertainment, what that would mean. Yep. It kind of, wouldn't you say propel our game back to being national pastime? 
Well, it would certainly help. I mean, you know, to, to, to have the opportunity and look, there are far more important things out there than, than any of the professional sports franchises and collegiate athletics and heck, even high school. I got two kids that, uh, you know, were in the middle of their spring uh, seasons uh, here in Cincinnati. And, and obviously for the time being, that is shut down. So, you know, there are a lot more important things in life, obviously, as we're learning literally minute by minute. But um, it would be a, an incredible lift to the sport of baseball if they can get back on the field. It would be great for the country. All those things you said, I couldn't say it better. Uh, but from, 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 the, from the health standpoint of the game, it would be a, a huge lift because the game has really started to suffer in recent years on multiple levels. And, um, and and needs to find a way to, 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 to steer its way back on track because it's been off track, I think, I feel like, for quite some time. Well, when I look at the NL Central, so what we've done with this program is we're going, we're, we're doing every single team, and we started with the NL West. We're now in the Central. And the Cincinnati Reds really are kind of a chic pick right now to win the Central. And we're, 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 we're in this world of we don't know how long the season's going to be. So kind of right. underdogs in a shortened season, it's kind of anybody's game right now when you think about it. Well, it, it is. I think that I think it's probably, you know, you, you hear all the time when you're coming out of spring training or going into spring training that the hitters, you know, and theoretically, and I'm sure a lot of people would tell you that most people feel like, Hitters generally are ahead of the pitchers when the season begins. I think we universally, let's say, agree on that point. But but one of the things for the Reds that that they, they, certainly their starting rotation is among the best in all of Major League Baseball. And and you know you start with Luis Castillo, who, who you know is as good a pitcher as really as there is in the National League right now. And then you follow up with Sonny Gray. Of course, you know all about him. He had an incredible season last year with the Reds. And, you know, Trevor Bauer is a guy that's been as good as anybody in the American League for a long time. He did not pitch well once he came over from Cleveland in the trade last year for the Reds. But most people feel like that's a bump in the road. And then, you know, guys you've never heard of, like Anthony DiSclefani, has become a rock-solid Major League starting pitcher. In fact, he had the second or third best ERA in the National League from the All-Star break on last year as he started to, to grow up a little bit. And then they bring in a veteran like Wade Miley. So, you know, when you start with, with that quintet of pitchers uh, in your starting rotation, along with a bullpen that looks to be like a major strength of the team, if you believe that pitching uh, can lead the way body in the division from a pitching standpoint, they look to be the best pitching team in the division. Yeah, we've had Trevor, and as you mentioned, we've known Sonny Gray since he came up, and uh, you mentioned Trevor Bauer, who we've had on this program. He really is a fascinating guy, and he's a really smart guy. Yeah. I love interviewing him. I, I love talking to him, and, 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 you know, how many times have we said, ah, oh, these baseball players are just blah, they don't say anything. That is not yeah. Trevor Bauer. It's not true. It is definitely not Trevor Bauer, uh, but, but like anything else. And look, if you had to pick one or the other of guys that aren't afraid to step out there and say something compared to guys that don't say anything, I'll take the guys that will say something all day, every day. And I, and, and I certainly believe you feel the same way. Having said that, you know, I, I think there have been a couple of times where you can make the argument and he's even admitted himself where he sort of crossed that line. You know, when he when he turned it into a personal thing by by you know making the comments he made about the commissioner, whether you like the commissioner or don't like the commissioner, you can sit around and debate that all day long. But you know, I, I think he even admitted that he wishes he could take back what he said and then some of the things he said about him this off season. But 
you're right. He's a super smart guy. Uh, he's a caring guy. You know, he, he cares about helping people and doing things for charity and, and trying to make people's lives better if he can with his platform and the situation. So, you know, I, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's fun having him around here. And then you talk about the offense that you've brought in as it's clear indication that Cincinnati believes they can win. That's why they're adding guys and spending some money. Yeah. Well, the, the offense was, was just so inconsistent last year. And, you know, the, the outfield production was brutal until Aquino had the, the, the month of all time for any player in the history of the game in August and then really tailed off in September. But, you know, they, they, they've got good players along the infield. They've got productive players. Um, and, and now all of a sudden they're just like, you know, hey, with this pitching staff that we've assembled through various ways, whether it be drafting them, developing, trading for them, signing them, whatever it might be, um, you know, it's time now to, 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 to give those pitchers an offense that if they do their job, you're going to score enough to win a lot more than you're going to lose. And, you know, they bring in Mustakas, who's just an outstanding player, um, really good player. Castellanos looks like he has finally started to live up to, to the number one pick billing. He had good years in Detroit, but nothing like he had last year once he came over to the Cubs. I mean, he, he was he was arguably one of the top three, four, five offensive players in the National League once he came in the trade from the Tigers to Chicago. So you put those guys in your lineup to go with, you know, a. Eugenio Suarez, who hit, you know, 49 home runs last year, has become one of the great, you know, third basemen in, in all the Major League Baseball. He gets overshadowed a lot by, you know, guys like Arenado and, and Machado and some others that are in the league, but he's as good as anybody around uh, on both sides of the field, in, in the field and, and at the plate. And, and then, you know, you've got some other guys you've got to count on to step up and, and deliver the goods and, and hope that Votto can come back and at least be a player who, who, who was a productive player. He'll never be an MVP caliber player again, I don't think. So we go into Detroit. He wears us out for four games in Detroit. Then he goes to the Cubs. And of course, the A's were taken on the Central last year, so I had to see him multiple times. And it, it's, yeah. it, it's amazing. He's a doubles machine. Yeah, yeah. He had over 50 of them last year, almost 60, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it it was an unbelievable uh, it was an unbelievable season. I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward because I also worked for the Raiders and we were back taking on Cincinnati. I want to say it was two seasons ago. And when you go around town, we even went over to Kentucky and just just see everybody with the, all the big red machine stuff. Cincinnati and we've been watching a lot of uh, classic baseball. We're actually going to be airing next Friday here in the Bay Area. We're going to be airing the. Uh, some games from the 1972 World Series, A's yeah. from A's against the Reds. But there's just such great history. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds are truly one of the great franchises in our game. Well, they, they have been. And they're the oldest franchise. They were the first franchise last summer. Uh, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. That's the oldest professional sports franchise in North America. And so, you know, there is, there's a lot of tradition uh, there's been a lot of success. It's not necessarily been the case for the last number of years. Um, uh, but, you know, they had a good little run at it, uh, you know, in, in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. But, man, since then, they have been lean, lean days uh, for this franchise. And, and you'd like to think they'll find a way to, to – to, they're, they're certainly going in the right direction. There are a lot of franchises out there that, that are not – you know, you, you could say they're just not – they're not trying. And you cannot say that about the Reds franchise. They are trying to win. Yeah, and that that is good news. And hopefully we'll get football going again. I mean, I, I would like yeah, to see, oh, yeah. 
I would like to see baseball get the headlines of being the first team and hopefully what happens in done. I mean, really what we've been trying to do here, Tom, and our and our president, Dave Cavill, is like, you guys got to get back on the air to give some relief to the people who are locked inside and, and, and need a yep. distraction. And so bringing on familiar voices, and of course your voice for all the years in the NFL and college football and Major League Baseball, I, I think it's really key for people to hear from someone like yourself because your voice, I mean, people know, they, they know who you are and they love your work. Well, I, I really appreciate those kind words. You know, it's funny. I, I, I you know, since we moved back to the Midwest after having lived in, in Arizona so long, and all those years—I mean, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday for, you know, twelve years—you um, know, I had a chance to do that to the Fox Saturday Baseball Game of the Week, and it's—I'm always—I'm just always amazed at how how friendly and kind so many people I meet, especially up and down the West Coast and into California, especially Northern California. And I don't say that because I'm on the air with you. I mean, heck, I remember the first time I met Aaron Rodgers and, you know, came walking in the door of a meeting. We were doing a Packers game. He says, man, he says, well, I feel like I grew up with you in my household. And I'm looking at him like, what? <laughs> you know, he's like, man, you know, he said, I was a big, you know, baseball fan and the Giants and the A's and all this stuff. He said, I used to watch you. I say, he said, I, every Saturday. And I'm just like, well, now, now you know you're getting old. But, but it was, it was very flattering. And, and, and some of those, so many of those days, whether it's over at, uh, you know, at the Coliseum or uh, at AT and old AT and T Park, um, the people are just awesome, I, and I, I sincerely mean that. It's one of my favorite places to go visit and be around the people who are sports fans because it's a great area out there. You know, during these times, you know, you've been watching a lot of MLB Network. What's it like for you? when you get to sit back and watch some old games with Cincinnati Reds and the big red machine, and you're looking at Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan yeah. who's from Oakland. What, what's that like for you? I mean, it's great. I, and I, you know, I lived, I lived the, the, the most, you know, blessed childhood that anybody could ever want. If you're a sports fan, you know, my dad got the job with the Reds in 74 and we were living in Virginia beach, Virginia. And, uh, we go to spring training when the Reds were in Tampa training back in those days, and that was their spring training home forever. Most people think the Yankees have been there forever. The Reds were the ones that were there forever. And I just recall that, you know, the very first day walking in the clubhouse. And, I mean, the first four guys I meet are, are Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, you know, but it, and you hate to say it, but it's almost like as you started getting older, you know, you started taking some of that stuff, I think, for granted. Like, you know, I, I was just, I've never been a collector kind of guy and, and never really one for autographs and things like that. So I don't have any of that stuff. But what I have is, is you know, are the memories of, of some of the days of being around those guys. And, and then, you know, as fate would have it, thank God, years later, um, when I first had a chance to start announcing Major League Baseball, I'm announcing the games with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose is the manager. You know, and it's just like, and, and now here we are, um, living back in Cincinnati and you know, each of these guys have either a had their Jersey retired, B built a statue outside the ballpark of those guys. And you're still around them all the time. And yet you're looking at men who are now starting to get up into their mid seventies and upper seventies. And it's hard to believe it's really hard to believe, but thank God they're all still going strong. You know, my favorite of that whole group has always been Joe Morgan. I, I just, I, I love Joe Morgan as a, as a, player and, and more importantly as a man I just spent a lot of time with him because he still works for the Reds organization he's in town a lot um, when he's not out there in his home uh, in Northern California and 
you know, he went through some rough days the last year, year and a half, and he's finally starting to feel a lot better. Tom, we always uh, appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and, and truly, it's just great to hear your voice, a familiar voice, and I know our fans feel the same way. So be well, and we'll talk to you during the season. Well, all the best, and, and, and send hello to uh, our good friend Bob Melvin. We're just so happy and thrilled with the job that he's done out there. I was with him for many, many seasons with Bob Brindley there in Arizona, and, and boy, what a job he has done with that franchise. So thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Take care, Tom. All righty. Isn't it great just to hear these voices again? You know, since we haven't had sports, and of course, Tom, with all the work he's done in Major League Baseball, the NFL, college football, great to hear his voice. How about the legend from St. Louis, Mike Shannon, as a player, as a broadcaster, this is one of the all-time greats in Major League Baseball. And here we're breaking down the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, he's a two-time World Series champion. He's a St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer and one of the great voices of the game. Mike Shannon is with us here on A's Cast Live as we're going to preview the St. Louis Cardinals. Mike, thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. It's really my pleasure. We have a a situation now where uh, we've never, you know, I've been there before because uh, I, I had to shut my myself down when, when I became uh, uh, stricken with a, a disease called uh, nephritis. So that was taken away from me when I was 30 years old. And I've had to stop baseball. So I've been through this once before and a couple of times. And then also, you know, in 1964, we came from uh, – Way back in the latter part of September, and we we went on to win the World Series from the world from the uh, world champion uh, Yankees. We we won there in '64, and then we won again in '67. We beat the Red Sox, and then in '68, the Tigers beat the Cardinals. And then I was involved in all three of those World Series, so it was uh, very enjoyable. You know, I got to say, and actually, MLB Network had uh, one of your games yesterday on from 1968 when you were taking on the Tigers. I think one thing what I think a lot of us baseball fans have truly enjoyed is watching baseball from a different time. And I grew up actually in San Diego, and they played the uh, 84 World Series between the Tigers and the Padres. And just remembering, you know, Alan Trammell and, and – and Morris up against Tony Gwynn. I mean, Jack Morris, the whole thing. I mean, it's been a lot of fun watching these old school games. Have you had a chance? Did you get a chance to see yourself yesterday on MLB Network from 1968? Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to see that, the sixth game. And, of course, I was uh, uh, very moved when the LK line passed. He was 85 years old. And uh, here's a guy that came out of uh, high school right to the big leagues, okay? And, and I had a nice talk with uh, – with him at one time. And I, I didn't realize that one of the people that was involved in the game involved him was Johnny Pesky. I didn't realize that Johnny Pesky was on that team. And he said to me that he was the only guy that helped him. He said the rest of the people that he came out of high school and he took a, he took a spot away from a, uh, one of the players, and, and he was a favorite player of of, of the team, and uh, they didn't like him at all, so they didn't help him. And the only guys that did help him was Johnny Pesky, and, and I played for Johnny Pesky just a year before he went to the, uh, the big leagues to become the uh, 
manager of the Boston Red Sox, and I almost became a, a Red Sox in a trade there, but the Cardinals didn't trade me, and uh, I went on and played in those three World Series in 64, 67, and 68. Yeah, I actually got to meet Al Kaline last season when the A's, I was with the A's in Detroit, and I got to meet him, and, and, and what a – what a wonderful man. He was so kind and gracious, signed balls uh, for the A's Foundation, our community fund, and you just think Mr. Tiger, and as you said, went from basically graduating high school, goes to prom, graduates from high school, and at 18 years old is in the big leagues. That's just, that's just incredible. Yeah, I was very surprised when he told me that Johnny Pesky was on that team and that Johnny Pesky was the one of the only people that helped him. And, of course, he went from there out of high school right into uh, the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was just a great player. Not only uh, he, he had everything, he was a five-tool player, but another thing that he had, he had those great instincts that a Hall of Famer has – defensively, I can remember in the 68 World Series, I hit a line drive in the right center, and I was headed for second base with a double. I looked up, and there he was. He he caught the ball without hardly any moving. He just knew where to play and how to play, and he was a wonderful person, but you're, you're right. Not only was he a great ball player, but he was a great person, and he was such a humble guy and such a very intelligent player also. Well, speaking of a great player, you know, reading up on you and studying you, uh, there's belief that you were a better football player than you were a baseball player and that you could have played professional football. Well, I had to make the decision to uh, pick one or the other, all right? And it was uh, fortunate enough that baseball was so much ahead of uh, the National Football League at the time, and they had a pitching plan. They had everything. And then when I see those guys coming off the field – in uh, in modern age now, that I I took the right I took the right way to go because these these guys you know Dan Devine was a great friend of mine and uh, he came from uh, Arizona and took over for the guy that recruited me at um, the University of Missouri and people don't realize that uh, there was five high school all Americans in the backfield recruited by a guy that went from the University of Missouri to the uh, to the University of Arkansas, and then he became a member of uh, uh, of the uh, Great Golf Tournament in, in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, <laughs> you know, you'll never get to admit it, anyone. But if you look at look back at the uh, that year in nineteen uh, well fifty eight, uh, he went from the uh, University of Missouri into uh, the University of Arkansas, and then went from uh, uh, the University of Arkansas as a coach, a football coach, and then he went to uh, the uh, the running all of sports, and he became a great leader in the uh, world of uh, college athletics, Frank Broyles. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, when I think about your time with the Cardinals, before we get into the 2020 Cardinals, your time with the Cardinals, I mean, you think of all the winning, the tradition, all the great players all the Hall of Famers. Uh, what's it like, you know, basically your entire life being around this great franchise, truly one of the great franchises we have in American sports? Well, I was very fortunate because uh, I knew Stan Musial because uh, 
Stan Musial's son, Dick Musial, played on uh, the football team at, at CBC uh, High School in uh, St. Louis, the Christian Brothers uh, High School. And it was a, a great pleasure to know Stan Musial at the time. And then I wound up playing in the big leagues with Stan Musial. And it was funny because, you know, Musial hit uh, over 300 the year before he retired. And so the uh, press was asking, Stan, how come you're retiring? You hit over 300. And he said, well, he said, when your teammates or your, your kids' playmates, it's time to retire. <laughs> and I got the biggest <laughs> kick out of that because that was true, you know. To, to be able to think that I got to play with Stan Musial in the big league, and I never will forget, uh, I, one day we're in Chicago. It was the last year Musial was going to play, and he had announced to everyone along the way that he was going to retire after the season. And so consequently, uh Johnny Keene, who was our manager, he came to me and he said, hey, Mike, he said, uh, Musial's not going to play today, so you're going to play left field. Well, I was tickled to death because I was a rookie and I got to play a game, start a game. So I go out to left field and there's a guy out in the bleachers and he said, hey, Shannon, he said, where's Musial? And I said, well, he's not playing today. He's tired. He said, you mean I drove 750 miles to watch you play left field? <laughs> and I felt so bad against him. He had about a 10-year-old son with him and you can imagine him driving driving 750 miles to watch Stan Musial's last game at Wrigley Field and he he, he couldn't he, all along that drive he was probably telling his son about that about Stan Musial what a great player he was and he was a superior player he was so much like Al Kaline it was un, unbelievable yeah the fact that he had the exact same amount of hits at home and on the road Tells you That's all right. you need to know about Stan Musial. Stan the man. And I, I was at the Hall of Fame in 1999, and uh, Stan was still alive. And I remember we were standing outside the night, uh, Saturday night, when all the players came up, all the Hall of Famers, and they have that dinner, and they brought him up on trolley cars. And Stan got out of his trolley car in front of all of his baseball fans and played the harmonica for us. It was <laughs> It was truly amazing. But let's talk about the uh, 2020 Cardinals because last year they got back into the postseason. They went to the all-star break at 44 and 44. But then in the second half, they just went nuts at 47 and 27. What do you like about the Cardinals going into 2020 once we start this thing? Well, it's the same thing that I saw in uh, 2019. And that was – their manager, Mike Schultz. I used to talk to him uh, after the game. I'd say, Mike, I said, you're you're better base runner, you're better defensive, you're better this, you're better that. But it doesn't show on the bottom line. He said, yeah, I know. He said, I, 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 I lose sleep at night because of that. But he had the patience to stay with that, and it all came together. And, and he believed in those players, and those players finally believed in themselves after all this long walk. And that's the same thing that – I am looking forward to in 2020 because of uh, the manager, Mike Show. He's a phenomenal guy. Well, no, man, you know, manager of the year in the National League and obviously, you know, a guy that never played pro ball, the first guy ever to win the award who didn't play pro ball. Fundamentals. It, it kind of reminds me of Bob Melvin in the A's. One of the hall mm -hmm. hallmarks of the A's right now is their great defense. And people want to talk about home runs and all this. It's defense. And I think about the Cardinals last year. The Cardinals only made 66 errors. That was the fewest in Major League Baseball. 
the the big thing for the Cardinals, they play fundamental baseball and they play great defense. Well, you know, and it's all because of the first baseman. It's a phenomenal that that he made the rest of the infield so much better. You know, we have defensively they were outstanding, and as you say, they made the fewest errors. Their defense was better. Their base running got better. Everything got better, and it's because of Mike Schoten. He had his patience to win, and I, I think that's going to really be the key to the Cardinals' success again this year. You know, when you think of Carlos Martinez, who had the shoulder issue and then went to the bullpen, do you see him being in the rotation? I mean, because his stuff is is absolutely electric. Well, there's no doubt about that. And I asked Mike Schultz about that. He said that that Carlos came to him and he said he wanted to be a starter. And he says, okay, show me that you can start in spring training. And, of course, spring training was cut short. And so I, I think that the people that are ahead in this game of baseball with, the, with this shutdown – they're going to find time to, especially especially the teams that that rely on the electronics. I think they're going to be so much smarter than they're going to be a lot more ready for the season to begin than other than other organizations. And I think the A's are one of those, and I think the Cardinals are one of those. These teams that are shut down right now and the so-called uh, what they call economics and and, and what they call the, uh, the electronics of the game, it's going to be the, the, the organizations that are spending this time with the electronics of the game that are going to be so much more prepared, I believe. And one guy who really could benefit from this shutdown and the Cardinals could benefit is Jordan Hicks coming back from Tommy John mm-hmm. surgery. You know, you're wondering who's going to close at the start of the season, but you know, and you knew Jordan Hicks is going to come back probably somewhere in summertime. If we're going to get this game going again, let's say on July 1st or mid-July, that's when Jordan Hicks was going to come back. That could really benefit the Cardinals from a from a standpoint that, you know, Hicks, when we start this thing, Hicks may be, may be ready to go. Well, and again, it's going to take on one of the uh... – Important parts of Cardinal baseball, and that's pitching, okay? And another thing that you mentioned before, pitching and defense have been winning World Series and pennants for a long, long time, and it will continue to, uh, you know, the game has changed so much. And, and they talk about uh, the home run, the strikeout, this and that, and so forth and so on. But look at the teams that win, and they're, they're the teams that have uh, pitching and defense. It's won for 100 years. It'll win for the next 100 years, pitching and defense. And that's what the Cardinals had last year. And that's why the patience paid off because of Mike Schultz, the manager. And it's going to be uh, the same for uh, 2020 when when it all gets back together again. Mike, thank you so much for coming on and talking a little Cardinal baseball. You're a legend in our sport. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program. Be safe, and we'll talk to you later on during the season. Well, thank you, sir. It's a real pleasure. And we, we lost a great one in, uh, in a guy named George. And he taught a lot of fellas. He taught Mike Schultz, the manager, okay? And that's going to all pay off down the road where, where we're going to have the Cardinals and the A's back in the World Series together. Now, that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. We would love it. Thank you, Mike. Take care and be safe. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Everybody out there, be safe. Well, I've been waiting for this time when I'd finally interview Pat Hughes. 
Pat Hughes grew up in San Jose. Of course, I've lived in San Jose since 1991. Uh, we both went to San Jose State. We both graduated with degrees, radio, television, film uh, from San Jose State. And he's been the longtime voice of the Chicago Cubs. We've never crossed paths. I knew we finally would, and it was great to have on the legend, Pat Hughes. Well, it's an absolute honor to have the voice of the Chicago Cubs, and I've been waiting for this for a long time because we're both San Jose State guys. We both uh, radio, television, film. Pat Hughes joins us here on A's Cast Live. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time today. Talk a little Cubs baseball, but also bringing you back home. <laughs> Good to be on with you, Chris. And, you know, it's it's true that we are both from the Bay Area. I, I wonder if uh, the uh, fact that we were exposed to such great announcers as young people has anything to do with it. I think it might. Um, when I think about the Bay Area of my youth, you had Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, both Hall of Famers on Giants games. You had the great Bill King on the Oakland A's later. Bill also did the Raiders and the Warriors. Um, Hank Greenwald was excellent. There, there were just so many great announcers in the Bay Area, and I think that's one reason why so many of us have gone on uh, into the business and had decent careers. And not only that for you, but some of the legends that you've worked with, when I think of like Harry Carey and Bob Euchre and these guys, I mean, you've been around and worked with some of the greatest voices that sports has, has ever had here in this country. Well, and Al McGuire and I were yeah. the basketball announcing team for Marquette Television for about six years. Uh, and then Ron Sato, the late great uh, Hall of Fame third baseman of the Cubs, he and I partnered up for 15 years every day on Cubs radio. Uh, Euchre and I worked for 12 years together in Milwaukee on radio. And Harry Carey uh, shared a booth with us many times in the two years uh, after I joined the Cubs before he passed. So I, I just hope that some of all that greatness, Chris, has rubbed off on me. I'm not sure if it has, but I hope it has. Well, uh, you've had a great career. There's no question about it. And I think of, you know, Cubs baseball, the tradition of the Chicago Cubs, going to Wrigley Field every single day. It's the Midwest and the sun comes out and everybody truly appreciates it. It's a really, really special place. What is it like being the voice of one of the great American sports franchises? It's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege to, to have uh, this prominent position. Uh, I do eight innings on radio of play-by-play -play of the Cubs every single game. For a long time, I did all nine innings. But uh, in my advancing years, I get one inning off per game, which is nice. But it's, it's an absolute privilege. Uh, pleasure. Uh, I am honored to, to have this job. Uh, just getting to cover the Cubs-Cardinals games, for example, every year, 19 of those. What a great rivalry. And the atmosphere at Wrigley and over at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, you, you can't match that. I tell people that there are so many beautiful new ballparks all over Major League Baseball, and yet the atmosphere is something that you cannot build. A stadium or a ballpark either has atmosphere or it does not. And I would say that Wrigley Field really is right at the top of the list in terms of atmosphere on a nice summer day or a nice warm summer evening with a good ball game and maybe a pennant race going on. There's just that unmistakable buzz of excitement and anticipation in the stands virtually every single day. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it is a magical place. And it's one of those, when you look at Fenway Park or you look at Wrigley Field, you tell baseball fans or whether it's the Baseball Hall of Fame, there's certain places you need to go and experience. And you're absolutely going to love it. And the atmosphere outside the ballpark is incredible. And Chicago, what a great city. And before we get into this year's team, you know, every we've had whether it's the Red Sox or the Cubs these these curses, right? That they that they can't win, and there's all when when the team finally broke through and won the World Series. What was the experience like in Illinois, in Chicago, and obviously the Cubs are are such a they're a national team. But what was that finally winning the World Series and you calling that? What was that like? It was the highlight of my career, no question about it. Uh, it was amazingly exciting. Um, you know, people were asking me because Ron Santo passed in the year 2010, and uh, he and I had a, a fairly popular partnership together. And a lot of people were saying, well, were you thinking about Ron Santo during Game 7 of the World Series? I said, well, yes, I did, but I think about Ron every day anyway. He and I were good friends. We were good partners for 15 years, so I think about Ron Santo every day uh, in the season or out, I was also thinking of people like Ernie Banks and Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse, the two Hall of Fame announcers that used to call Cubs games. But really, Chris, I was also thinking about the millions of Cub fans who never got to see the team win a World Series because they had passed on. Uh, you're talking about 108 years going back to 1908. And from a broadcasting standpoint, I was greatly honored to be the first Cubs broadcaster to ever say the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Because if you think about it, there was no baseball on the radio back in 1908. There was no television uh, at that time either. So I, I, was, uh, I was greatly honored and thrilled to be part of it. Um, and, you know, I did not make the greatest call that's ever been made. But I wanted to be under control, and I was, I was pleased with it, but um, it was, it was nerve-wracking. The Game 7 was a, a remarkable cliffhanger. It went 10 innings, and it went back and forth, back and forth, and it was just edge-of-the-seat drama, and it's something I'll never forget. And then a couple of days later, I was honored to be the Master of Ceremonies at the Cubs' rally downtown Chicago, and you, you probably read about this, but you had to be there to believe it. On the, on the parade route from Wrigley Field to a place called Grant Park, which is downtown Chicago, it's about, I don't know, five, seven miles, something like that. They estimated, reporters estimated, there were five million people on the parade route between the ballpark and Grant Park. Five million people, and we were told that it was the seventh highest attended event in human history. And this goes back, they were, they were talking about other events like pilgrimages to Mecca way, way back centuries ago. Um, so just to be part of that was amazing. And then the actual audience at Grant Park where they held the rally, and again, I was the master of ceremonies, so I was going to introduce all of the ball players and kind of get the program going. And I talked to one of the guys on the stage right before it began, and I could not believe how many people were out there. It was an ocean of humanity, as far as you could see. And I said, hey, man, how many, how many people do you think are here today? 
And he looked out there and he said, well, we had a we had a, a Rolling Stones concert here a few years ago, and we had, I don't know, he, he named some other musical acts. He said, but I've never seen a crowd this big. He says, I'll bet we have about 900,000 people here. <laughs> 900,000. Now, Chris, if you were to be at, uh, say, a pro football game, and, and the stadium held 80,000 people, and you had the responsibility of, delivering some kind of a speech at halftime in front of 80,000, you'd be a little bit nervous. There'd be a little uh, number of butterflies in your system. When the guy said 900,000, I just laughed because, (laughs) I mean, 80,000, 90,000, yeah, you might be a little uptight. 900, you just say, forget about it. Let's go and have some fun. And, And I knew that the audience wanted to have fun. The Cubs had just won the World Series two days before. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but we had fun, and and that is by far the largest audience that I've ever addressed uh, in my career. But so many memories, so much fun, so much excitement. I'm I'm just so pleased that I got to be a part of it all. Yeah, it's funny. Nine hundred thousand. He's not even close. It's five million. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everywhere you 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 would go around the corner. We were on these double decker buses, and I was on the top. I had my wife and my youngest daughter was with us. And uh, every time you'd go around the corner, these people would would stand up and they'd give you this uh, standing ovation. And there would be like thirty people deep everywhere. And then you'd think, well, that that's going to be the end of it. Then you'd go around the corner, and they'd be 50 people deep. And then you'd go around another corner, and there'd be 100 people deep. There would be people up in windows and, and hanging out of office buildings. The whole city shut down. And I'll tell you what is really special. That day, there was not one single arrest. Not one out of 5 million people misbehaved to the point where they had to be arrested. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That is, I mean, the story just gives me chills. It's uh, absolutely incredible. And I'm so happy that you got to experience something like, uh, like that because that's uh, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal for a broadcaster. And then now looking at the 2020 Chicago Cubs. So they win 103 games in 2016, win the World Series. They've been chasing to win a World Series since. Um where are the Chicago Cubs in 2020? Because there's been, a, I mean, obviously a change in manager. Uh, Theo Epstein has talked about changes to the lineup when we still think there's a lot of talent there. Uh, Chris Bryant's future, we're not sure. What are your expectations for 2020? Well, I, I hope we have a season. That, that would be, first of all, Chris, this is a very uh, unusual time with the coronavirus and the pandemic and people dying and hospitalizations all over the place. We've got to get this in the rearview mirror, whether it's some brilliant scientist uh, or a doctor coming up with a vaccine. I don't know how long that's going to take, but, boy, we could sure use one right about now. And, and I know that biology takes time uh, longer than you want, but uh, I, I hate to see all this suffering. So that would be the first thought. I hope there's baseball, and I hope it's not uh, – in the too distant future, but let's just assume that maybe around June or or thereabouts that there will be some baseball in some form. I think the Cubs are going to be very good. I think David Ross is going to be an excellent manager. He was part of the World Series team. He hit a home run, by the way, in Game Seven for the Cubs against the Indians. Andrew Miller, 
but he's going to be a good skipper. And we still have a nucleus of offensive players, and they're also defensive players. But think of this nucleus. You've got Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, and Wilson Contreras. These guys are all-stars. They really are. They can carry the team, all of them, when they get hot with the bat. They can carry a team for a week or ten days. I can't really think of another team that has that many high-powered offensive players in their lineup on a daily basis. Now, having said that, baseball, as we all know, comes down to pitching, and the teams that pitch the best generally win the most games. Uh, That I'm not quite as confident as I am in our offense and the ability to score runs and hit home runs. Um, We have a decent rotation. The bullpen would be a question mark. Craig Kimbrell was signed to a big contract in the middle of the year last season, and he struggled. Uh, Here's a number that jumps out at you, Chris. He gave up nine home runs in 20 innings of pitching. And for a closer, uh, home uh, home runs and base on balls are the two things you want to always avoid. Uh, so he lost a lot of games. He he suffered uh, several blown saves. Uh, so how well he, Craig Kimball pitches, I don't know this year. He's got to pitch better than he did a year ago to uh, to get the Cubs back on track. But uh, overall, uh, I, I think um, the team is going to be competitive. We've got this uh, unbelievable fan base. They always offer great support. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, again, I think David Ross will be a terrific manager. Well, yeah, I, I, I look at your players, too, and I, the people thinking that the Cubs are not, are, you know, not going to be that good. I'm like, they got too much talent. And, and the National League is going to be very competitive. But once this season gets going, it's going to be a lot of fun. Pat, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on during these times. And I've looked forward to this interview for a long time. I knew at some point our our past would, would, would connect. And it's great catching up with you. Nice meeting you. And uh, be safe. And hopefully we'll talk to you during the regular season. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do it, Chris. Now, what would you like to discuss in our second hour? Uh, you want to go into a little, uh, <laughs> we, I would love to go into like, the history of your career because your career is incredible. <laughs> I'm just making a living like everyone else. Take care and be safe. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much. You did a very nice job with this today. Uh, it's great to have Pat on and uh, to get to talk to him. You know, we, we talked before the interview, after the interview. Uh, it was really a, a treat to have him on. Well, I know this was big for the commander, and we all know Cody is a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan. We got a chance to check in with their voice, uh, Greg Brown, who's got a fascinating story. He used to work on the Buffalo Bills broadcast. He did Super Bowls for the Bills, and now he's been the longtime voice of the Pirates. Raise the Jolly Roger. Here is Greg Brown. Greg, thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate it. Guys, I've got all the time in the world. I should thank you. (laughs) Well, I've been saying appreciate it to a lot of people lately because we really do, and as you know, uh, our president, Dave Cavill, said get, you guys got to get back on the air and talk baseball and, and give our fans here in Northern California some relief. So, uh, yeah, anytime we can uh, hear from people in baseball, it, it is great. And, and you know, we were just talking about this. So you did color commentary for the Buffalo Bills. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, had uh, a nice run, of course. We had the, the four straight uh, Super Bowl years. 
and uh, we heard all the jokes. Of course, uh, they uh, changed the spelling of bills to use four L's. A uh, little rim shot after that, and then uh, the uh, area code in Buffalo is O four four. Those are just, those are just a couple of oldies but goodies. Oh God! And you know what's sad is they 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 had a great team with the Hall of Famers. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I do. I I, I laugh at those jokes because. Uh, that'll never be done again, in my opinion. Four consecutive AFC championships. I don't talk about four straight losses. I talk about how, incredible! What a great lesson, sports lesson, life lesson. They kept getting knocked down on that mat and kept getting back up despite the national uh, plea from so many pundits for the Bills not to win. I mean, it was it was Buffalo against the world every year because people were sick of seeing the Bills at the Super Bowl and. Everybody was aiming for them, and uh, for the Bills to go to four consecutive Super Bowls is an achievement that I don't believe we'll ever see matched again. Yeah, and the one guy I think of it, it used to be a great trivia question, Gail Gilbert, former Cal Bear, who was on those four Bills teams, leaves the Bills, goes to San Diego, and they get destroyed by the Niners He's, he went to five straight Super Bowls. I mean, obviously, he was a backup, but lost all five. Yeah, so he, I don't feel as badly. I used to uh, – one of my uh, uh, partners in the broadcast booth with the Pirates, one of the first events I did as a Pirate broadcaster in 1994, the year after the final Super Bowl, I left Buffalo, came to Pittsburgh, and actually had spent 10 years in the Pittsburgh Pirates front office doing every job imaginable from sales to marketing to PR to putting the radio network together. But I always had this interest in being a play-by-play guy. So I went to Buffalo and I did minor league baseball and then hooked on with the Bills. I did some, uh, hosted some hockey pre and post and did some uh, college basketball and so on. So I spent five years in Buffalo, back to Pittsburgh. And Steve Blass, who was uh, one of the iconic uh, sports figures in, in all of Pittsburgh and one of the best pitchers in Pirates history, and became a real good friend of mine. Uh, in, in 1994, the strike year, my first year as a Pirate play-by-play guy, there's a strike in early August, and the Pirates were awful because they had lost Bonds and Bonilla and Drabic, and they just they tore the team apart, and uh, it, it started a pretty bad run, of course. But I got up to this event. The Pirates asked uh, the broadcasters to go out and, and uh, do some speaking engagements, so I do this thing at the... Uh, Butler Country Club, a luncheon, and it, it seemed to me there were a thousand people there. That mi- there might have only been a hundred fifty, but for me, my first big event, it felt like there were a thousand people there. And lo and behold, who's who's introducing me as the guest speaker? But Steve Blass, and he gets up to the podium to the dais, and he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you a good friend of mine. Uh, he left the Pittsburgh Pirates following the 1989 season to go to Buffalo." The year after he left, the Pirates began a string of winning three consecutive National League Eastern Division titles. He went to Buffalo to announce the Bills, where they proceeded to lose four consecutive Super Bowls. Now he's back in Pittsburgh. He's a Pirate broadcaster. There's a baseball strike, and the Pirates are in last place. Here's our guest speaker, Greg Brown. And you could have heard a pin drop. And to this day, I ripped him for doing that to me because, I mean, jaws dropped. And, And... and for the long time, of course, we had close to a 20-year run of losing. I really did feel like I was the bad luck charm. And then, of course, in 2013, they broke through and had three great uh, postseason runs. 
Oh, that, that, that is hilarious. And, and I think about when we can get this game going once again, what it will mean for everybody who's basically on lockdown to see live sports, to see baseball, even if there's not fans in the stands. I don't care if it's Arizona, Florida, Japan, wherever you can play. What this will mean for baseball to help people heal and, and, and help get it back to that, that saying, our, our, our national pastime. Yeah, you know, it seems like baseball's always been there, uh, part of our national conscience, and and uh, what, whatever it might be through war years, through of course after nine eleven, which by the way, um, the the Pirates were hosting the New York Mets at PNC Park uh, that that evening. They were scheduled to host the Mets on September eleventh, two thousand one, and then of course about a week goes by, uh, they picked up the schedule. The Pirates were supposed supposed to play the Mets at Shea Stadium in New York a week later, but it was being used as a staging center, Shea Stadium. So lo and behold, they reversed it, and the Pirates ended up hosting the Mets the first game uh, upon the return uh, after uh, 9-11. Uh, and, and baseball in general healed, of course, and, and, uh, and, and the Yankees going to the World Series that year in 2001, and President Bush throwing out that first pitch, and well, anyway, whatever, the, the, whatever it might have been, whatever has illed the country, it seems as though baseball has been there as a, as a tonic uh, to, to help the, the country heal. And I agree 100%. Uh, I have, I've told people I don't know when opening day at TNC Park is going to be. Nobody does. But I do believe uh, that, that when it happens, the, the one event that will top the wild card game of 2013 when the Pirates hosted the Cincinnati Reds, and many people, Pirate fans, sports fans in western Pennsylvania will tell you it is the single greatest sporting event of their lifetimes, that wild card game. But I do believe that if anything could top it, it will be opening day after the return of this, whenever that is, when they let fans in and see baseball again in Pittsburgh. And I assume that would be the case in, in every venue. Yeah, I can tell you, my producer Cody was, is was so happy to bring you on. He's a uh, he's a big Pirates fan, and he was just pointing at it. So we're not in the same studio, uh, but we can see each other. And he was pointing at himself, saying, "Yes, that game you just talked about is his favorite game." Cody, come on, that was your favorite game of all time as a Pirates fan. Yeah, Greg. So my first year here in Northern California, my first year here was the year after 2012. I moved out here after college, and that was the year the Pirates broke through. I remember your call in Texas when they won the 82nd game and McCutcheon has his arms up celebrating like, okay, finally this is over. And then, you know, you have to play with Grilly and, and or was uh, the, the play at home with Neil Walker where they cl- they clinched the playoff berth and all that stuff in Wrigley Field. And then I remember watching the game on TV. I, I will admit that I, I shed tears watching, seeing the team I grew up watching. I'm 31 years old, finally make it to the postseason. Nothing will ever top that. I've seen the Penguins win the Stanley Cup here in San Jose, but nothing tops watching the Pirates play in a playoff game for the first time in my life. Cody, I'll tell you, I, and I've talked to um, well, I've, I've friends, relatives who were at that game. Uh, John Wayner, a former Pirate player, uh, be, because we have uh, five broadcasters who rotate, and John does road games only. Uh, John, a former Pirate player and a huge Pittsburgh sports fan, grew up in Pittsburgh and a Steelers, Penguins, Pirates fan. He attended that game as a fan. He says, and he's been to Stanley Cups and Super Bowls. He said it's the greatest 
sporting event he's ever been to. And, and I still to this day hear about that from people like Cody. And uh, it was just it was 20 years of frustration uh, uh, really just wrapped up into one night where it was a coming out party for the baseball fans of the Pirates everywhere. And not just those who attended over 40,000, but just really all around the country, all around the globe, we were getting uh, texts from people and emails and, and messages that, uh, that, that they were tuned in and, and what an incredible night it was. And, and Andrew McCutcheon leading the way, it was just sensational. Uh, uh, and, and so maybe, uh, we, we won't know, of course, until this happens, but I still think, uh, in my heart of hearts, at least that's what I'm holding on to, um, as frustrating as this is for all of us. What I keep thinking about is how great it is going to be when baseball does return. Uh, as we were saying, how, how baseball has been there for us through tough times, um, not just in sports, but, but socially. Uh, it, it has it has healed a nation so many times, and it is going to be something special uh, when when baseball does return. When did you come up with the great call? Raise the Jolly Roger. Well, actually, that that went back to uh, my years in the front office. I, I, I had done a little marketing and um, uh, was as a really a young intern. Um, feeling full of myself, I went to an executive uh, at the Pirates, a top VP, and suggested that uh, at Old Three River Stadium, what the Pirates should do is what the people at Wrigley Field in Chicago do when the Cubs win, and they put on Wrigley Field that white flag with a blue W when the Cubs win. I said, you know, we're Pirates. How about if we put a big skull and crossbone flag at top Three River Stadium every time the Pirates win, so that people across the river, they're going to work the next morning, maybe it was a late game, maybe it was on the West Coast, they could look across and see a top three rivers, this big skull and crossbones flag blowing in the wind. They would know the Pirates had won. Like when Pirates capture ships, that's what they do. And basically this, this executive uh, told me to get out of his office that we don't run a circus at this ballpark. So I, I had this at the back of my mind forever. And then Bob Walk, my broad, one of my broadcast partners, a former Pirates pitcher, kept bugging me and bugging me about why I don't have a signature call like all the so many broadcasters over the years had, um, including Bob Prince, the legendary Pirate announcer, the Hall of Famer, who said we had him all the way after the Pirates won, or Lanny Frateri, who preceded me, would always say there was no doubt about it, regardless of... Uh, how tight the game might have been, but when the Pirates won. And uh, I told Bob about my idea as a young intern many, many years before in the front office. And he said, well, you know, they call that flag the Jolly Roger. Why don't you say hoist the Jolly Roger? And uh, I just I just changed one word. And so Bob gets as much credit as I do for that. But um, it and it really took because I was doing it for a handful of years um, and, and to, to the shoulder shrugs of, of, of any, uh, any pirate uh, fan. Uh, they, they didn't seem to care much until the Pirates started to win. They started to win really in 2012. They collapsed the second half of that year, but it really took off in 13, 14, 15, and now it's, it's really cool. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's a, they uh, you do the hashtag RTJR for Raise the Jolly Roger, the, the Pirates have the, the slogan, raise it. 
um, on flags outside PNC Park everywhere. Uh, so it, it really, it just, it's, it, and not because I say it or I came up with it, it, it just, it fits so perfectly with the Pirates. Yeah, and looking at the 2020 Pirates, so new club president, new general manager, new manager, what are your expectations for the 2020 Bucks? Well, coming into the season, I was uh, excited uh, because of, of the, the changes, uh, in particular Derek Shelton, the new manager, because uh, he's a throwback. He reminds me a lot of Jim Leland, who I have great respect for and, and know very well. And uh, it, it, The atmosphere changed on a dime the, the, the day he was announced, and, and I'm talking about at PNC Park in the wintertime when there was nobody around. I could walk past the clubhouse I just felt this breath of fresh air. It's as if a giant shroud has been lifted from the organization. There's a freedom now to smile and laugh and, and not be looking over your shoulder and not walking on eggshells. And uh, I was so excited, in fact, that I went to, to Bradenton earlier than ever before uh, because I felt welcomed back into the organization where I had not felt that way in a number of years. I went to team meetings that I was never allowed. Not, not that I'm going there to... To, 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 to scoop anybody or anything, but just to, to find out what the philosophy is and, again, to feel like I'm part of the organization again. And, and everyone felt that same way. I, I was, uh, people were laughing and joking um, uh, around the clubhouse out on the field. Not that they didn't take their work seriously, but you could tell they were looking forward to having fun again to play the game of baseball. I really felt like for too many years it was as if the Pirates felt like they were deploying troops to the Middle East instead of just playing the game of baseball. And um, so, again, I was really looking forward to it. And then, of course, um, the shutdown. And so my expectations were just I, I didn't know how many games they would win. I knew they, they still have work to do to become legitimate contenders in the division. But if having fun and playing with an ease and a relaxed atmosphere – uh, can translate into better play, which I do believe uh, you're, you're better uh, in any walk of life, in, in any profession, you're better when you're relaxed and at ease uh, than you are when you're looking over your shoulder at someone to see what kind of a job you're going to do, uh, then I think, yeah, I think individually they will play better, uh, and, and that should uh, translate into more wins as a team. And how many, I don't know, but I do think they're better than they were last year, and I do think now with an abbreviated season, whenever that might be, I think that can only play into the, uh, in, 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 in a team like the Pirates' favor. And maybe all teams in baseball, because it, it would seem unlikely they could fit 162 games in uh, to, the, to the season this year. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think now uh, all bets are off. I, I almost feel like, uh, you know, everybody's going to be on equal footing this year. You know, let, let's in on this. You know, the, the A's and the Pirates, two old school franchises with great history. One of my fondest memories, I think it was like 2010 or 2011, we were playing you guys in Oakland and you wore the old school all black and we wore the old school all gold. It was such a great throwback uniform game. And we're going to be talking coming up here at three o'clock with Sal Bando, 3.30. We're going to have the Hall of Famer, Raleigh Fingers. We're going to start airing 
the 72, 73, and 74 World Series games that most people have not been able to watch. You know, I, I'm 48. I never, I was born in 72, so I never got to see these games. And we're really celebrating our history because we have great history. What are you guys doing there in Pittsburgh? Because you also have a lot of great history and Hall of Famers and great players. And we're doing similar things. We're airing classic games. And interesting about these, and, you know, the seven, I guess it was 73, in fact, that had Bob Moose not uncorked a wild pitch in the National League Championship Series against the Cincinnati Reds. Well, actually, First of all, the Pirates had, I think with two outs, a one-run lead in the deciding game of the NLCS in Cincinnati. And Johnny Bench hit a game-tying opposite field home run off their closer, Dave Justy. Later in that inning, Bob Moose uncorked a wild pitch to allow the Reds to score the winning run. Otherwise, it's the Pirates in that World Series against the A's. And then, of course, the, 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 the other big tie-in for me was when the Pirates traded Manny Sanguian to the Oakland A's to acquire Chuck Tanner uh, in the winter of 76 going into the 77 season. Chuck Tanner became a beloved manager in Pirates history, went on to lead the team to the World Series three years later. So yeah, the A's and the Pirates do have uh, ties that go, that go back and, and could have been even richer had, uh, had the Pirates not lost that game against the Reds. Uh, but we are, we're airing classic games on our flagship station. Uh, matter of fact, tonight is game two of the 1979 World Series against the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles won game one. Pirates needed a win to even the series. And coincidentally, it was Manny Sanguian's pinch hit, uh, base hit with the two outs in the top of the ninth in Baltimore that scored the winning run that even that series, the Pirates went on to win it in seven games. So airing a lot of those, uh, the 2013 wild card game has been aired. Uh, we're we're going to be airing a, a 2015, a uh, couple of games of an incredible series leading up to the All-Star break against the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe the best baseball games I've ever seen uh, at PNC Park. And um, just uh, just much like you guys, we're, we're kind of throwing it back and, and reliving some great history. Oh, great stuff, Greg. I, 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 I really... You know, thank you for coming on. Enjoy your work and enjoy listening to your highlights on MLB Network. You do a great job. And and thank you very much. Be safe. And let's do this again later on once baseball starts up. Well, like I said, I, I, I thank you because uh, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, a request any day of the week, any hour of the day, because I'm this was it. This was on my uh, my schedule for the past week to do the show. <laughs> well, my, you, you, your biggest fan is my producer. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I know it. I appreciate that. Tell them the checks in the mail, will you? <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Take care. Thanks guys. Thanks a million. A lot of fun talking to Greg and we're going to end with the brew crew, probably the favorites in this division. Uh, they should be when we get this thing going, the voice of the brewers who grew up in Sacramento, watching A's and giants, Jeff Levering, Jeff, welcome to A's cast live with, uh, Chris towns. We appreciate the, the time. Hey, anytime. Yeah. You just dialed yourselves in. You guys are reinventing the wheel here. It's beautiful. Yeah. We call it millennial technology. <laughs> you guys are doing great. Back-to-back years for the first time since Harvey's Wallbangers, and I'm telling you, Robin Yount and Paul Mulder and Cecil Cooper and those guys. I mean, it's been a really good time for Brewers baseball. Yeah, it really is. And, and having one of the best players in the sport, and Christian Yelich wear the uniform, and he'll wear the uniform for the rest of his career, hopefully, um, is a good thing for the sport. And, and it helps 
small market. I mean, Oakland A's fans know this for a long time. I grew up in Northern California, and and the A's and the Giants, it was all about it. I mean, I still have the the 89 Bay Bridge Series pennant hanging in my basement here in Wisconsin. So, I mean, I know all about it. But but having this this run uh, that the Brewers have been on recently and the success um, it has been awesome, and it's way faster than, than anybody could have anticipated it, too. Um, for the the fact that this team has played one meaningless game in the last three seasons, that was the last day of the season, 2017, is spectacular. Yeah, it is good for baseball when stars stay in a place that they love. And I know when we were down at spring training, you know, there's people who were criticizing the deal. I ah, could have got more money, could have got this. It's like, you know, I hear you, but. You know, after you know, two hundred million, or I mean, at some point, if you if you feel comfortable, your family likes it, you like it. Why wouldn't you want to stay? I yeah, maybe get fifty or more million, but I mean, he he's gonna be okay. I think financially, uh, Christian Yelich is uh, g- gonna be fine. I agree with that, and and someone smarter than me once told me, "Don't mess with happy." And Christian Yelich is happy, and and the thing is, is that if you're one of the best players in baseball. What are the most likely destinations? Where are you going to end up? You know, like a Los Angeles where he grew up. You go to New York. You go to Boston. San Francisco is that destination for a while. But he's really happy here. And I think one of the things that gets brushed under the rug a little bit is the fact that if you go to those huge market cities, there there is an immense amount of pressure on you to to perform. And it's not like it's a big deal. Um, but at the same time, since you're in Milwaukee – you don't have that media pressure. He gets along with the owner extremely well. He goes way back with the owner's son. That's a great relationship that they've been able to cultivate for a number of years. But it, he can go and, and put up these monster numbers and hopefully win a championship at some point in his, in his career, and they're going to build around him. And, and he's going to be the star, and he's going to be the big fish in a small pond, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great for the sport. And just talk about watching him on a daily basis. His growth from the Marlins to now is unbelievable. It really is. And, and I don't know if you can, you can um, blame it all on the ballpark effect either because Marlins Park is a terrible place to hit, especially as a left-handed hitter. And who's to say that if he was playing a different park that he would be a different hitter to begin with if he wasn't a Marlins, say he was a Cub or say he was a St. Louis Cardinal or whatever else. I think that he's just the guy that was coming into his own at at that time. It it was the perfect set of circumstances, the right ballpark, the right situation, the right voice, a different voice telling him what to do with his swing and, and some adjustments to make. And he's turned into a beast. He's one of the best players in baseball and, and watching him. And and this is coming from a guy who, who grew up watching Barry Bonds every day or, or Will Clark in that era um, coming through the minor leagues, I saw Mike Trout in the minor leagues. I saw a guy by the name of Oscar Tavares, you know, rest in peace from the Cardinals, who who passed away. But those two guys were the best players I've ever seen. And then watching Christian Yelich do what he does offensively, defensively, on the base pads, it's unbelievable. He totally remakes the game, and, and it's another coming of Mike Trout, and it's a small market. And baseball needs guys like Christian Yelich, and, man, he is a blast, and he just wants to go play. He doesn't want the notoriety. He was really happy to win the MVP in 2018. He deserved it. He could have won it in 2019, too, had he not got hurt for the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, he is just an absolute monster, and all he wants to do is play the game. 
Speaking of a guy who owns the Oakland Athletics, you bring up Mike Trout. When no. you when you saw Trout in the minor leagues, did you did you realize you're watching an all time great? Did you know he was going to be that good? Yeah, he was the best player I'd ever seen. He made a routine ground ball to short look interesting. I mean, and and the thing is, is that he's not. He doesn't just kill the A's. He kills everybody. Don't feel like, I mean, I feel bad for the A's. Yeah, you got to see him 19 times a year. But imagine being the Orioles, and you have to see him seven times a year, and he crushes you too and makes stupid catches out in the outfield, taking your dreams and your hopes away too. I mean, it's so fun to watch. And, and I did know it at that point in 2011. I'm going, this guy's special. He's just different. He's totally different. Yeah, I, you know, growing up I, – I, Super Barry was incredible. Ricky Henderson. And it was hard to believe. Like, I'm watching someone going, is this guy the best guy I have ever seen? Because it just Mm -hmm. seems like you see him against the A's, and he he already has over 30 home runs against the A's. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible to see the dominance. Um, You could have said that for, again, going back to the Orioles, you could have said that about Mookie Betts, right? Betts hasn't been in the big leagues six years right since 2014 when he made his debut but he has absolutely killed the Orioles or Glaber Torres you feel like he's hit enough home runs for a lifetime against Baltimore um there's just some some ownage about that it's incredible to watch and again you marvel at the athleticism from these from these players the Trouts the Yelich uh Bellinger Betts uh Matt Chapman now at the A's I, I love watching Matt Chapman if I could watch him every single day I'd be a happy man playing third base you guys in, in Oakland are so lucky to have him and Olsen on the corners. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's a cornerstone type of, of duo that you've got there in, in Oakland. And th- those guys are close to being on that same caliber. It, it, you know, they are special, and they're, they're so much fun to watch. And I just think in California, my God, you're going to have Bellinger with Betts. I mean, mm-hmm. you got Rendon with Trout and Otani. Then you got Machado and Tatis Jr. Isn't it amazing how much – great young talent is in the game right now it, it is it's fun and you didn't mention one giant too isn't that funny like the, you had this good run from the giants in the in the 2010s and you didn't even mention one of them because that's another conversation for another time but the fact that that there is so much young talent um it's a blast it's a blast it's a young man's game it's a young man's game you could tell through free agency for the last couple of years that this was the trend uh, that baseball was going to get into where you're going to try and lock these guys up into to long-term deals before they get into arbitration and, and pass that arbitration process and, and try and lock up those young guys for as long as you can before they get the free agency and, and go elsewhere. So it's a young man's game. The, the days of the, the 34-year-old journeyman is gone, it feels like, and, and this influx of youth is, is so good for the sport. It makes it, it exciting in a day-in and day-out basis where you've got the, the Acunas and the, the Albies down in, in Atlanta making things fun and Soto and Robles in Washington, D.C. These are cornerstone players that are going to be around forever because they're in their, young, they're in their early 20s and, and they've got so much growth to be made and, and the sport is in a really good place once it resumes. You know, a couple of things that worry me about the Brewers <clears throat> is a lot of change. 13 players from the 25-man roster that was in the wild card game is gone. And then the rules that changed for the bullpen, and that's something that's been a big weapon for Craig Council. You guys had 20 pitchers on your, uh, on your roster <clears throat> that 
38 players in September, 20 were pitchers, and the bullpen carried you to the postseason. So talk about the change and talk about also the change, the change with the bullpen rules. Well, the last couple of years, I feel like September has been Craig Council's playground, and, and he's just swimming around in everybody's heads because he's able to make these moves, and, and you go three innings, four innings from your starters, and then you cobble together with your bullpen with the arms that you've got available. Uh, and it's worked for the last couple of years. Now, with, with everything being what it is with this year, and if, every, if anything resumes, you'd have to have extended rosters and all that kind of stuff, and, and those are things that will get figured out. But say you're playing right now and, and the Brewers are, are in this mix where you've got 26 guys in your roster, 13 pitchers all season long, but then you've only got 28 in the month of September. It's not just a problem for the Brewers. It's a problem for everybody, and you, and you adjust to it too. Um, plus, you have shorter minor league seasons to where if your teams aren't in the playoffs, you don't have those guys to dip back in the, into your into your bullpen or into your starting rotation in the month of September too as easily as you might think. Um, but I think it hurts everybody. It changes your strategy. It, it makes you lengthen guys out in the three batter minimum or getting the last out of an inning. It, it, it does bring a lot of strategy back into the ball game. And, and even American league managers are going to have to think about it too. Um, where usually they're, they're sitting back in their rocking chair and figuring out, all right, well, this guy will get me through this, this inning. And we got to worry about the DH. We don't have to worry about double switches. I mean, they're not in the rocking chair anymore in the American League. They they got to put on their thinking caps and adjust, uh, just as the guys in the National League do too. Uh, but hopefully, baseball resumes, and and I trust this Brewers organization to to do what they need to do and put the right people in the right spots to succeed. And and they've had a good track record of doing that over the last few years. Yeah, and in the shortened season, I got a feeling that there's going to be some some drama with some teams that we didn't expect to be at the top that teams are going to be battling because there's there's so much unknown and if we're only playing 100 games or 80 games i think some of these underdog teams may have a shot you do and and that's that's the beauty of hopefully when when baseball resumes and and that's that's keeping our fingers crossed for everything that's going on in the world and in this country but it's it's a race to the finish. There's going to be so much intensity with every single game. There's not going to be that innocuous Tuesday game in Arlington anymore, right? Every game is going to matter because there's so few. And and it's it's an opportunity for Major League Baseball to, to try and figure out what they want to do. They've been trying to mess with, do you want to shorten the season and um, give, your, give yourself some extra off days? Or or this, this is the time to, to try and – play with with what you want to do and and if i'm rob manford and the players association where everything is on the table try some stuff out have some fun be create uh, creative with the whole thing and i you know I, it's going to be really interesting um to see how this thing goes and then i'm hoping i'm hoping it's a, a small market team that ends up being in the mix at the end of this thing and and making it exciting and getting themselves on the map and hopefully something special happens so I gave my audience a homework assignment and I said, go on to YouTube because Johnny Carson back in the day was the biggest thing. <laughs> ever. The Carson show was, and I think a lot of our younger audience, they don't have a clue how big Johnny Carson, everybody watched the tonight show. All the stars were there. He's Johnny Carson. He's making a bazillion dollars and he'd bring on Bob Euchre and Bob Euchre was hilarious. So I want my audience to research that. And tell us, what is it like? I mean, what a legend, what a career. What's it like being around it? 
I mean, he's the only guy that does what, what we do in, in baseball and be an announcer and also host Saturday Night Live and also be on the Carson show, as you mentioned, almost 100 times um, and be a sitcom star and host Battle of the Network Stars back in the 80s. He's the only guy be in movies. I can't even forget you know, Major League and all the other great movies that he was in, too. He's the only guy that's been able to mold those things together. Think about all of the great play-by-play guys that there have been, but they, they've tried to cross over into the different industries, and it hasn't worked out. And for Bob, it's so seamless just because of who he is. He's just His star shines brighter than anybody else's that's ever walked this planet for whatever reason. He's, in, he's crazy in the best possible way. He's funny. He's endearing. He's treated my family great. Um, super intimidating when I first started because of the big personality. Uh, but once you get to know him and, and you get inside the, the velvet ropes and you're in the club, he's just, he's, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and it's, he's like the grandfather that, that lives close. And that's kind of the relationship that he has with them. And it's just really special how he is and, and how funny he is just walking around the ballpark and just being funny. He's got a line for everything. And, and usually it's a line you've never heard. Um, I mean, he's going into his 50th season, just broadcasting Brewers baseball, 51st overall, because he was with the Braves for a year and a half. Just a super special guy that, um, and I and I pinch myself every time I get an opportunity to work with him because there have only been a handful of us that have worked with Bob. I'm one of the very lucky few. I'm the third longest tenured partner that he's had, and uh, every single game is you never know what you're going to get. You don't prepare for anything because you don't know where he's going to go, and, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, when you when you work with a legend, it, it's so interesting to see how they're treated. I also work for the Raiders, so I work with Brent Musburger. I do the sidelines. Mm-hmm. He's doing the play-by-play. And wherever we go, everybody is coming into the booth to pay homage. Everybody's coming. And I know I don't I don't think Bob is, is, is traveling anymore, but what is it like when all the other broadcasters, they want to talk with them? They want – I mean, it's just you, – you just see the respect that these guys get. Yeah, it's it's special. Um, and, and one of the first things that that Bob said when I when I first joined the team, when people are coming in and saying hi, and everybody wants to get a piece of Bob and and have a chat with him and have that moment. And hey, I, I had a chance to talk with Bob today, and it's usually just once a series. But the one thing he said is, hey, all they always come to you, man. Let them come to you. And I'm like, dude, that's not my life. I have to go to people and say hi to them. They don't come and say hi to me. I'm totally that that's not how I'm wired, but as long as I'm sitting next to you, they're going to come and I'll say hi and that's fine. But you're, it, you're right. It's a, it's a different, it's a different feel. And I'm sure you get it all the time with the Raiders where someone will walk in and go, you are looking live, right? Yeah. Trying to do the Brent Musburger line. How many times do you get that? And Brent, the guys probably walk out and Brent goes, God, if I had a nickel every time I heard that, right. Something somewhere around those lines. So every time for Bob, it's, must be in the front row or just a bit outside or any of his iconic lines. And he goes, well, I've heard that one before. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling sometimes at games where people are taking your, they're stopping and taking pictures just to, to try and get that moment of their time with Bob. I, I almost feel like we're the lions in the zoo and people are walking by and taking your pictures at the zoo. And I'm just kind of like, dude, I'm ruining your picture. You better be zooming in on Bob because 
this picture is worth nothing with me in it. And that's the beauty of what we do just because of, of who he is. I can just kind of be a, a side portion of it. It's, it's fun. It, it is fun, but it's, it, it can be tiring for him. I know that. Uh, an absolute amazing career. It's, I mean, he's been broadcasting longer than I've been alive. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's unbelievable. Let's end on this. You said you're from Northern California. We're on. People can listen to us all over Northern California. That's our territory. Uh, where are you mm-hmm. from? Sacramento, born and raised. Nice. Born and raised. Yep. Jesuit High School was a, uh, a teammate of Dallas Brayton's in summer high school baseball league a little bit. So we had some fun times. Yeah, it was good. It's a blast to be up in Northern California. My folks are still there and got a lot of great A's fans and, and Giants fans and in the Central California area. Well, then, then you went down to Orange County and started Chapman. I did, yep, yep. It was the opportunity for me to career, to uh, continue my baseball career. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be playing. So Division three baseball for me ended up winning a national title my sophomore year, went back to the College World Series my senior year, and um, you know, five foot, 10 inch, no defensive position can only hit for doubles power. I, you know, I, I went for the, the more longevity in my career choice. <laughs> you, you weren't Mike Trout of division three then. <laughs> uh, no, I was not. No, no. If Mike Trout was playing division three, he would have hit 800. <laughs> well, I truly appreciate the time us breaking down a little brewer baseball continued success. We're going to be watching you and we'll have you on throughout the season. Bring you back to Northern California. Be safe and we'll be calling. Sounds good. Take it easy, guys. Enjoy. Be safe. Well, that'll do it for the Central. We're going to move on to the East, but we got to thank Tom Brenneman, Mike Shannon, Pat Hughes, Greg Brown, and Jeff Levering. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.